You're listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc123 at me.com. Let's take our Bibles now and turn to the book of Luke, and we're going to go to chapter 16 tonight, all right? Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. Let me just ask God for his help tonight. Father, we're grateful. We've, we've enjoyed this so much, being together, and... Uh, we have gained and learned and been refreshed and helped and strengthened by the word. And um, I, I do personally ask you that you would leave things in the hearts of these dear people that will be with them the rest of their days on this earth and will ignite something wonderful in them, uh, a new sphere of thinking, a new way to go, uh, a new ministry to carry out in their lives. So thank you, Lord, for their joy in you, their eagerness to open the Bible and listen to the, uh, the word uh, that you have given us, taught. And um, bless that, Lord. Give them great, uh, great effectiveness in this community, your spirit's power in their speech and lives as they live out their lives among people, their neighbors and friends. Thank you for this pastor. Thank you for Ron and, and his wife and Christy. And we, we ask that that you just continue to undergird him and help him and strengthen him and show your love toward him and use him in a powerful way, both of them, Lord, for your sake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. When I was a little boy, I wasn't like Ron here. We didn't have many books in our house. Uh, we had, actually for the children, we only had a box of books, and they were all horizontal in that little box, uh, put in our closet. And we would pull that box out uh, on occasion and we would find books to read. And some of them I can still remember to this day because we just read them over and over again, the same books. But one of them was particularly important to me and I can vividly picture the pages of this book. And it's a Christian-based book. It was about a little boy who received 10 pennies. And it shows how he used his 10 pennies. And one of those pennies he gave to the Lord. I remember that distinctly. And his chubby little hands are seen uh, giving, giving that to the, to the Lord. Well, that, that, Im that impressed me from a very early age. I felt like, even from an early age, I wanted to know how to give. You know, when I went off to college, I, I took with me a book from my father's library. It was the life of George Mueller, uh, George Mueller of Bristol by a man named A.T. Pearson. Um, I had heard about George Mueller. George Mueller was the man who fed and clothed over 2,000 orphans in Bristol, England. He was a Prussian, uh, had an accent, and he was a great Bible student. And God had used this man to uh, illustrate to the world about what God can do. He fed and clothed those 2,000 orphans at a time. He took care of over 10,000, I think 10,024, but he took care of 2,000 at a time at the end of his ministry there. 
And uh, he did it all by faith. He never asked for anybody but God for the money. He, would, he just refused to ask man for help. He just looked to the Lord. And it's a great, it, it was a moving story. And I, I remember reading that story sitting down in front of the apartment where I was living my second year of college at Washita uh, University. And how impressed I was with this life. And I, I thought to myself, with great emotion actually, sitting out in the sun there reading that, that book, how I would like to live a life like that. If I could just, just deal with money and possessions and things which are such an entanglement to everybody in a way that was like what he is doing. It would be such a huge encouragement to me, an exciting thing for me to, to experience and I think would be God-glorifying. That really did change my life. I didn't know where to go exactly with that. Uh, except the first thing that uh, was impressed upon me was that I, that I ought to do something about giving. And so I got just very zealous about giving right there in college. Now, I had been paying my own way through school. Back then you could do that. And uh, my parents, however, at the end of the semester would maybe give me two or $300 to help me finish out my bill when I would go in to pay it. But this particular semester, after I read that book, I just started giving away things. Me and another friend who caught the same vision with me, and we just started giving away. We had a shirt that we liked. We gave it away. We had money. We gave it away. We just tried to do what little bit we had. We didn't have very much, but uh, we, we just tried to, to give it away. And, you know, we got to the, I got to the end of the semester. I went to pay my bill, and... Uh, I had something like $2.80 or something left over. I, I had, for the first time, all my bill was taken care of. And I, I was just sort of hooked after that. I thought, here, I've just given away everything, and I've come to the end here, and everything has been supplied that I need. I remember I went out and bought a hamburger to celebrate, actually. It took about, <laughs> took about that, all of that $2.80 to do that. But, uh, yeah, I, I, was, I was just really uh, attracted to this idea. Uh, and George Mueller was a great guide to me, and has continued to be a great guide to me. And I've studied him. I have a whole shelf of books, this, probably this big, of George Mueller's life. Studied him carefully, studied the things that he thought carefully. Been in his orphanage uh, in Bristol, England, and even taught there, you know, uh, in his orphanage. So, you know, these, these are things that were very important to me in, in the early years of my life. Then when I went to seminary and after seminary, when Pam and I uh, got married, we were especially caught up with the life of another modern-day man. Mueller lived in the 1800s, throughout almost all of the 1800s. But this man and his wife, Edith and Francis Schaefer, Francis is the man's name, Francis Schaefer, uh, were, played a real part in our lives. And for one thing, uh, Francis Schaeffer was a, a teacher. He was a historian, philosopher, Christian historian, philosopher, apologist, and uh, he had a lot to say. And we read all of his books, and we were, we were uh, uh, really caught up in understanding how to talk to unbelievers about the gospel. He had a tremendous ministry as people came to, living in Switzerland, living in the mountains in Switzerland as an American, uh, he would entertain people, especially young people who were just traveling around all over the place in those days trying to find themselves, and he would share the gospel with them and teach them. So we learned a lot from that, but we especially learned from his lifestyle. And Edith Schaefer would write a lot about his lifestyle of faith in Jesus Christ. Again, just looking to the Lord, not, not trying to drum up business, not trying to... 
work people out of their money. Uh, he just didn't do that. They refused to do that. They wanted to look only to the Lord, and they expected the Lord by prayer and the faith that God gave them to supply all of their needs, and he, and he did. And, and they have story after story that they told about that kind of experience. And we, we had personal encounters with them and read all that we could about them. And it, there again was just some living uh, modern uh, man and woman who were demonstrating that, that God answers prayer and this whole thing of money and possessions can be dealt with in a very different way, even than most Christian ministries deal with it. And so that shaped us. That has really shaped us. And then sometime after this, um, about, I think, 35 years now, everything is now at least 30 to 50 years in my life past, you know. But about 35 years ago, we began Christian Communicators Worldwide. And when we began this ministry, we purposefully started it with the idea in mind to live by the things that we had learned about trusting the Lord. And so we decided never to ask anybody for money. And in all these 35 years, we've never sent a letter out asking for money, never talked to a businessman, never gone anywhere requesting money. In fact, we do everything free of charge. And sometimes guys like this guy over, override our normal policy. And my board said, shut up and you just let God work. Uh, when that happens, but we do it free. We'll go free any place in the world. We figure, you know what, we ought to be paying for the privilege of serving the Lord like this. You know, I mean, we don't deserve anything. It's a privilege to teach the Bible. And uh, so uh, we just, God has just blessed us and God sends us what we need when we need it. So the very first bits of money that we had, we we gave away to a missionary, and we just started out with nothing and asked the Lord to supply everything, and he has done that. We've only missed one bill by one day personally in 35 years. We missed it by a day. It cost us $25, and it was to the IRS of all things. <laughs> but we just we couldn't find that money any place, uh, any drawer, any place. I mean, it wasn't that much, but we just couldn't, <laughs> we just couldn't find that money. But God has, uh, a lot of times last minute, I, I have to tell you, a lot of times last minute, but he's supplied everything we've needed. And now we have two other uh, families on our, on our team, and they trust the Lord like we do. So that whatever comes to them or to us through the ministry it designated for us is what we live on. And everything else goes into the ministry, and we do lots of things with lots of travel. We've been all over the world, I think something like 45 countries, and every state of the union, but maybe three or four. So God has given us the ability to do all of this just by looking to him. God is a, he's, he's got plenty, you know what I mean? And he is able to move the hearts of people and to provide what we need. And so we, we just had joy in this type of ministry. Uh, and I just, I just frankly wouldn't want to have a salary. I mean, I feel sad for people who have to have salaries. <laughs> I don't mean that exactly, but... But, you know, I just am happy that the Lord allowed us, and it's just his will. We have to obey God, right, however he shows us to do it. But in our situation, it's really been an enjoyable thing just to see what God will bring us and when we need it. And um, I don't really mean there's anything against salaries. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so this has been... This has been a big part of our lives for many, many years. 
And over those years, we have seen thousands and thousands and really a few millions of dollars come into our life and our ministry. And, you know, God just gives it to us when we need it. He gets it to us somehow. I want to talk to you about uh, something in this vein tonight, all right? Let me tell you a story. There was a man who was a very, very wealthy man. And he had um, a person who could manage managed his money for him. I never had that. I don't know if you ever had that. But he would manage all of his money for him. And somebody told him, informed him that this man was actually misspending his money, had, was actually using, absconding some of the money for his own purposes. And this news got back to the wealthy man. Of course, that man called the manager of his money to him, and he told him, this is what I'm hearing about you, and you need to give an accounting of everything, and you're no longer going to be my manager. Well, the, the manager was, of course, confounded by that, 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 uh, that this had come out, and he thought he was better at embezzling the money than he, than he was. And uh, he just said, I don't even know, I don't know what to do now. I don't know what to do now. That my, that, that, that my, you know, this man that I've served all these years has taken away my manager role in this world. I'm just, I'm not strong. I can't go out and dig ditches. I, I'm, I'm just ashamed to go begging. Then he thought, I know what I'll do. I'm going to go to the people who owe my master money, and uh, I'm going to go talk with them and do something that will help them to welcome me into their homes when I'm through with this manager's role. So he, got, he called his, the debtors of his master together. Uh, he went to the debtors of his master, and he said to the first one, he said, how much do you owe my master? And the person said, a hundred measures of oil, or a hundred eight-gallon containers of oil. He said, all right, just take your bill, sit down, quickly write out 50. He went to another one. He said, how much do you owe my master? And he said, well... A hundred measures of wheat, a hundred twelve bushel containers of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. Did you know that the wealthy man, his, his master to this manager, praised this unrighteous manager because he had acted so shrewdly? For... The sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Well, you recognize I'm telling you a story that Jesus told, right? So let's look at that in, in Luke chapter 16. I'm just telling you the beginning of the story, all right? Or the story portion uh, of, of this section of Scripture. Let's look at that again in verse 8. His master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. 
For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. Now, Jesus now, after telling this uh, arresting story, uh, enters into a few short statements. He's going to tell, he's going to give, give us and give these people who were listening one command and then four facts to undergird and support and stimulate, motivate to fulfill that command. All right? So that's, I want to go through that with you because I think they're very effective and helpful for us. And there's just one command, and here's what he says. Verse 9, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. Can I read that again? I say to you, here's the one command that Jesus gives in this section. Make friends, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will welcome you or receive you into the eternal dwellings. That's what God, that's what Jesus commanded be done. All right. Now that's on the face of it, seems really strange, doesn't it? Make friends by money. Make friends by money. Use money to make friendships, right? Is that what this says behind me? All right, make money by friends. I always wonder what's going on behind me. But isn't that an amazing statement, make money by friends, because we naturally, I think we naturally say that we shouldn't do that, right? But here's Jesus telling us we should do that. Make money by means of friends for yourself so that they might welcome you into the eternal dwellings. Well, I used to read this passage and I thought to myself, well, here's what Jesus is saying. There's something sort of missing in here we're supposed to put together. And what he's really saying is use money with unbelieving people so that they will be impressed with God and will therefore come to Jesus Christ and then they will be in that future world in heaven and later in the new heavens and the new earth. They'll be in that future world and they will welcome you then and receive you gladly into that, in that future existence. But really as I thought about the text much more carefully, I realized that he wasn't saying this really at all. What he is saying is the unrighteous steward uh, was shrewd in that he was, more, he was shrewd in relationship to his own kind. For, Jesus said, the sons of this age are more shrewd in relationship to their own kind than the sons of light. So he's really talking about two categories here, the sons of light and the sons of this age, right? And so what Jesus, I believe, is actually saying here in this text, and it fits then, conforms well with other parts of the scripture, is that we are to make friends, as a command, we're to make friends for ourselves by means of wealth, and the friends that we make are among those of our kind, which are the children of light. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is something that is said in other places in the scripture. He's saying use money 
to build friendships among believers. Use money to make friendships among believers. Now, what he does then after giving us this command is give us four very striking facts that will help us. Two of them are written in, a, in, a rhetorical, in the form of a rhetorical question, but they turn out to be a fact if you know how that can work. I'll show you how that works in just a moment. Now, I want to go through these four substantially motivating facts uh, that Jesus Christ himself gave us. They're found in verses 10 through verse 13. And following that, then just a very powerful illustration that Jesus gives us to, again, motivate us to obey in this very important command. The first one is found in verse 10. Here's what he says. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. That's the first uh, fact that Jesus Christ is giving us. Faithfulness in little means faithfulness in much. The one who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. In other words, what he's saying here is this. That how you act with a little bit tells something about your character and the way you will deal with money all the way through, even if you had a lot. You see what I mean? And that's a very important concept because many of you probably said, I'm sure all of us at some time maybe have said something like this. If I just get, if I can just get $100,000, man, I will, then I will really give to other people and to the causes of God. If I just get $100,000 or $200,000 or more, if I can get $1,000, I'll give. But I've got so little right now, I just barely get by. Surely the Lord doesn't want me to do that. No. As Jesus is saying, there's a fact you need to reckon with. That the way you deal with money, faithfully or unfaithfully, is seen in the little and it will carry right through with the much. The more you get, you'll just do the same way. Maybe even worse, actually. Maybe even worse. But it's a character issue. Do you see that? I think this is so important to realize. A second fact, here's what he says. Therefore, and it builds upon the first one. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you. Let me, that's put in a question form, so let's turn it around like a statement. If you aren't faithful with unrighteous wealth, God will not entrust you with true riches. Now here he means something, uh, he, eschatologically, he, he means something bigger than uh, just a good way to get more money in your life. In other words, if you give well here, or you handle your money well, he's going to give you a lot more in your lifetime. But you know, that's not always the case. <laughs> that's, not, that's, that's not always the case. So what he really is saying, because he's talked about future dwellings uh, in, the, in the first uh, section there, the eternal dwellings, I think he's really thinking about something a bit bigger than this. He's talking about 
being faithful with unrighteous wealth means if you're unfaithful with unrighteous wealth, he will not entrust to you the riches of the future world. He won't entrust you those riches. In other words, uh, on earth, we deal with this thing that Jesus fairly consistently calls unrighteous mammon, unrighteous wealth, right? And how we deal with that money and those possessions on this earth determines whether we will receive the true riches that are found in the eternal world, okay? Uh, that's a pretty amazing idea, actually, isn't it? To, to say to us that how we deal with money tells us something about even whether we are believers or not. If you live in a, in a greedy and selfish and self-indulgent way, with your money and your possessions, what is that saying about your heart? What is that saying about you? Where is your confidence? You know, whom do you trust? Whom do you obey? What attracts you in your life? So if you are faithful, however, in unrighteous mammon, then God has promised true riches throughout all of eternity, right? Riches beyond anything we can possibly imagine. That is the second very powerful uh, impact or fact that, that Jesus gives us. Let me give you a third. He says in verse 12, And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Here I believe Jesus also is saying as a fact, if we can turn it around as a fact, if you're not faithful in that which is another's, God will not give you that which is your own. God will not give you that which is your own. Okay? So God promises that in the future world we receive, he's really saying us, we receive an inheritance. Now our this is, uh, this is promised from the very first pages of Scripture. It goes right through the entire text of Scripture. Throughout the whole Bible, this theme of inheritance is, is, is given to us, right? And we anticipate that which all of the writers, it seems like, so many of the writers at least, and Jesus especially, and Paul especially, talked about, we're going to receive a future inheritance. Let me tell you about this future inheritance. In this future inheritance, you really receive all that there is, all that there is, because you are heirs with God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. All that Jesus Christ receives, you share in. You manage it, but you own it. I mean, that's right. Right now on this earth, you're using that which really belongs to another. Remember the steward story, the manager story for the wealthy man. He was not managing his money. He was managing the master's money, correct? So on this earth, we're dealing with what is not really our own. We say that in theory, but sometimes we don't remember that in practice, right? We think this is our stuff. It's not your stuff. You're just a manager of what the Lord has given you. And that can really mean a lot of different things. I mean, that can really change the, 
way that you live your life and what you do with what you get. I think the enemy is all too happy to try to supply you from his end whatever, whatever he's allowed to do to get you wrapped up in things that entice you. But the Lord has instructed you to, be, to make friends with unrighteous men, right? And your job is to obey the master. That's his stuff. You see, that is his. You've got to be about the master's business with the things that you have. You may have never thought that it says something about whether you're really a Christian or whether you will even be a sharer in that future inheritance, but Jesus here, I believe, is saying that it does mean that. You might have the name of a steward of God, but not the practice of being a steward of God, right? You may call yourself a Christian, an inheritor, an heir of a future inheritance, but doesn't mean that you really are an heir. And here's a final fact. Jesus said in verse 13, No servant can serve two masters. Notice, notice that it's the word can. No servant can serve two masters. It's a, really, it's an impossibility. It's a moral impossibility for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Notice the strength of those words. He'll hate the one and love the other. Or he says he will be devoted to the one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You see, the steward uh, couldn't really do both. Again, he can call himself a steward of the manager's money, but if he's absconding the money for himself, he's not really a steward of the manager's money. He's managing what he thinks is he's taken to be his own, right? You should, can't. It's, a, it's an impossibility to be both things. The master realized immediately, this man is not stewarding my money, so I'm going to have to remove him, right? So, it's an impossibility for you. If, you. if you are an unfaithful person with the things that God has given you, uh, it's literally impossible, morally impossible, for you to be devoted to both. You've got to decide whether you're going to manage this as the Lord's money and be a faithful steward or whether you're going to be attracted to this and devote yourself to, that, to the love of those things. Now, I tell you what, I, I don't know how, if I could bring this home, but I, I, I really hope we realize this is a very significant statement right here, Jesus Christ. You can't do this. And I think it's very possible it is happening, even in this room in some places, among some of us. The steward thought that he could do some things that were okay with the master, right? He was managing, he looked like he was managing some things. But not all things. But if you do not devote yourself to all things in being faithful to God in relationship to your money and possessions, then you're not really a, a faithful steward at all. You cannot, you've got to be one or the other. So Jesus has then laid out for us something that is 
I think uh, like one of the most absolute of things that we can find in the scripture. And I dare say that if we took a bit of accounting ourselves of the things that we do in relationship to money, we might find ourselves in a very embarrassing situation. There are things piled up in our homes and piled up in our bank accounts, piled up in our IRAs and 401ks and all of that kind of thing that maybe you haven't even consulted God about, right? Now, it's not to say that God can't lead you to do this or that or the other. He may lead you to do something in terms of the future. That's his business, right? But your business is to be his business, not just to think of yourself and devote yourself to the use of your money, but you are to absolutely 100% be faithful in serving the Lord with the use of your money. And you, as we said in an earlier message, you can't love anything except the Lord. Unless You can't love anything unless it's a means of loving the Lord. Right? So he may give you permission to do this, that, or the other with your money. But if you're presuming that you have absolute control, you're acting like a steward of somebody else's money and you're just get you're you're devoted to yourself you see you're devoted to your own protection and care and so forth you're you're squandering your lord's money when he means it to be put in other things yes. right i don't think we have enjoyed in a way the liberties god gives the christian to a large extent, because we have very bad ideas about money and possessions. We live a life, listen, uh, there's no, as one friend told me years ago, is there any sin in trusting the Lord? If you think about the future of your life, is there any sin or any weakness or any concern over the ability of the Lord to take care of you? Well, I, I'll tell you the testimony of Scripture is over and over again. You should have no worry about that, right? Over and over again. But you've got to listen to the Lord, work it out between you and God, find out what He wants. And I realize sometimes there's a tension uh, to know how to do that perfectly. I get that. But it's the Master's money. That's not your stuff in the bank account. Right. It's not yours. Not even your stuff in the closet. Not your stuff in the garage. It's not yours. It belongs to God. And I, I don't know how you feel, but I'm convicted by that. That's a very convicting thought to live with that tension all the time. But it's a good tension, and it's a liberating tension, actually. It's a liberating thing to be fully devoted to God and to look at the things. That, I remember one time Pam and I went through our whole house. Remember that years ago in the beginning of our Ministry, and we just went through our whole house and we looked at everything we've got and said, Is this the Lord's or is it ours? Is it the Lord's or is it ours? And we tried our best to, to, to say, Lord, anything we have here is yours. And if you come calling for it, you want to use it a certain way, 
He wants to give it away. And we've had so much fun at different times just giving away. Just it's Sometimes it's just, uh, it's just such an enjoyable life just to take the things that God has given you and just give them away to other people. I, mean, I don't know what kind of life you want to live, but if you, if you live a life that's just all sort of about you and everything, you know, you're just stingy and greedy and all. I, I don't know if God could ever be pleased with that, right? He's not, if you're just hoarding up and holding on to everything, how can the Lord be pleased with that kind of lifestyle? You don't have to worry about being taken care of. And he may use your income as part of the way that you'll be taken care of because he's given you the ability to work and to make money. I don't know what he'll use. He can use what he wants to. He'll take care of us. You won't die. You won't starve to death. You're going to be there all the way until it's time for you the very moment when you die, right? But we can have joy in this. There's a joy in the devotion to the Lord completely. So the truth is, if we turn the spotlight on any one of our lives, I think there'd be a lot of squirming in this room when we think about money and possessions. Am I right about that? Yes. Okay. Do you think there's work to be done there in your thinking? Then Jesus experienced uh, a, a, you know, and, and had an experience that really proves the point. Look what happens in the next couple of verses. Look at this. Now the Pharisees, remember the Pharisees, right? Everybody, just to make sure everybody knows, they're a religious sect. Let me just tell you about this religious sect, though. Remember, they're the conservatives, not the liberals. Liberals were the Sadducees. The conservatives were the Pharisees. They tithed the mint and the cumin, remember? They split the pea open and took out the tenth. They took out the tithe. Uh, for the Lord. They were very careful about showing tokens of devotion to God. But look what Jesus said. Look what uh, Luke tells us about these people. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money. Now what did Jesus just say? No servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. The now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money. We're listening to all these things. And they were scoffing at him. Now why do these Pharisees scoff at Jesus? I think for maybe maybe some of them it's for a lot of the reason that some people in a church might scoff at somebody who gets really free with their money and starts giving it away or at your kids when they decide to really follow God and just devote their life to the Lord and they don't seem to care about all that all that stuff that you care about and so what, what, what do we do as, as, as parents and grandparents and so forth, right? We give them some wise counsel about how they hold, hold on to those things, right, so that they'll be prepared for the future. And we just, you know, we just think they're crazy. We think they're foolish, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? 
I mean, we think people are foolish who, who get serious about what Jesus says related to money. We have to be careful. We have to be careful there. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. But God knows your what? God knows your hearts. It's really not... It's really not the performance that we do and the, the things we can say with our church language. But God looks right through to the heart, doesn't he? He looks right into the heart of us. He knows where your loves are, where your devotion is, really. God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. What word is used up here? Abominable? Abominable. That's a good word, isn't it? Abominable. Think about what he just said there. That which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. So a, a cautious and careful person who counts every penny and saves everything perfectly for himself or herself, might be considered, you know, highly esteemed among all the wise money people, right? And yet, what is highly esteemed among men is abominable before God. Now, I don't want to be crazy here. I realize that there are that there are things that God leads us to do with our money. But one of the safest thing, things anybody will ever do with their money is to give it away. You want dividends? Listen, if I, if I want dividends that will pay eternally, I'll give my money away, <laughs> right? If I want some that may pay now or may not, you know, we don't know. And it has no assurance to it. I, you know, I, I invest it now for me. But if I really, if you really believe this, and if I really believed it, why, why wouldn't we just go crazy with giving? You, you understand what I'm saying? Why wouldn't we really give with a large heart toward other people and to other causes and to other things? Why wouldn't we do that? I think we just don't really believe it. We don't really believe there are great rewards for, for gen, the generosity that we experience now. I don't think we really believe that. We don't we didn't imagine that. We don't really believe Jesus on something really basic that he said, actually said repeatedly and lived out before us. Do you think uh, that someone who is detestable before God will go to heaven. Somebody who's abominable before God will go to heaven. You see the silliness of this? If we live in this wrong way related to money, thinking we're wise and getting the esteem of everybody else, and it's not esteemed by God, but it's abominable to God, we can kind of understand why he says, why he relates that idea of wrong use of money to not even getting the future inheritance, right? Not even getting that which is our own, the inheritance in the future. 
Oh, I have to tell you, uh, I have, I have uh, enjoyed the friendship of so many people who've been generous people. <laughs> it just has enriched my life. I, there, I had one fellow who loved, who loved pastors, you know. Well, they, in my book, they get a special place because a lot of times pastors carry a pretty big burden night and day. Not always. Sometimes churches like yours make it a whole lot easier. But sometimes these churches are hard and tough. And because pastors care so much, they just carry those burdens all the time. It really can wear, wear them down. But this guy just loved pastors. And he would, he would take me out usually once a week. And we would go out. You know, we always went to McDonald's and look at the dollar menu. That's a, And you can, okay, kids, you can have... You can get two items off the dollar menu this time. You know what I'm saying? Or you can get one item this time. This time. That's just, we still do that, don't we, fam? We always look at the, we just look around until we find that dollar menu on there. And, uh, but he would take me out to a nice restaurant and nice Chinese food or occasionally even a steak. And he would take me out and he would just love me. And it was very common for him to just, reach over and give me $20 and, and just wish me the best. And I can't tell you how life-saving that was in my life for this guy to do that. Ron has passed away now, but I miss him dearly. He's a, I can't wait to put my arms around Ron in the future because he, cared, he just made a friendship with me. And I wasn't the only one. There were many people like that that Ron made friends with. What a happy life is that? Right? Yeah. What a happy life. He could have thought all along, I'm wasting my money to go out and do this kind of thing with pastors. And it's, it's too much money to go eat in a restaurant like that. But he really wanted to make things special. He really wanted to show his love. And it was extremely effective. And I believe there are going to be lots, lots of welcoming, lots of receiving, lots of joy in heaven in the future world with Ron. I remember a woman... Well, I remember Mr. Kidwell. Mr. Kidwell uh, was in my boyhood church. My dad was pastor. And, and Mr. Kidwell was the head of a, a, a savings and loan uh, company, uh, savings and loan bank. And, but he would, sit in the, he would sit in the pew and he would squirm. He'd had a sunstroke and he'd, he'd just move around like this. And he actually kind of scared the kids. So he, he decided that he would always carry um, candies in his pocket. <laughs> and the kids caught on to that after a while. And we got to really loving Mr. Kidwell because he always had a bit of candy in his pocket. But he was a person who was very generous toward people. Just oh, in amazing ways he would meet the needs of people. He was always looking out for ways to meet the needs. One time he gave my dad a, a, a suit. And uh, it was a beautiful suit. And he... My dad put it on, looked in the mirror, and my, my uh, mother was looking at it behind, uh, behind him, you know, as he was looking in the mirror. And she said, honey, you can't wear that suit. You can't wear that suit. What do you mean you can't? This is a beautiful suit. I've never had a suit look this nice. It's just a beautiful suit. He said, he said turn around and look at, those pant, look at the pants bottoms. It was just worn slick because he was always moving in the pew like that. <laughs> <laughs> But generosity, you see, I don't know what you want to be. I don't know how you want to reflect Jesus in this world. But just think about how beautiful that is. 
he, he told my dad something that was really important. He said, JT, that was my dad's initials, JT, uh, just remember, God blesses a channel and not a reservoir. A reservoir will hold the water, but it gets stagnant and bacteria and filth gets in there. And, but a channel keeps flowing. And he really taught my dad a lot about giving, and that's very, very important. What a, what a giver. What a great man. What friendships he built among believers with the money that God had given him. He used it well. Why just hoard it up and don't even spend it? Why die with a whole bunch of money? You know, what does that mean? What is that about? I remember um, Miss Lula. Miss Lula lived in Fordyce. My dad pastored First Baptist in Fordyce years ago, and I was born actually there. And we would come back through Fordyce, and uh, we, we often stopped to see Miss Lula. Miss Lula, some of you maybe know Fordyce, but there's just a turn. You go past, when you go on east past the high school, by the way, in front of the high school was a, a big concrete planter, and you could look in that and see all the way to hell. That's what I believed as a little boy. I was absolutely sure there were fires. I know my brother Tom put me up to that, but I believed that for a long time. And uh, so we'd go past that horrible place, and we'd go on down the road a little bit, and then just make the turn, just turn the corner there. And she lived in the house that got the headlights, you know. <laughs> That's where she lived. But she got, Miss Lula was the giver. I just thought of her as the giver. We always talked about her as a giver. And, uh, and she was. She was just incredible. And she lived by herself, and, and uh, she got sick finally, and she was more bedridden and had to be taken care of. But we would still uh, stop and see her when we turned that corner. Or we had a certain kind of honk. We'd honk for her, and she knew we were coming by when we were in town. I remember one time stopping in our house, and she just couldn't let you come into her house without giving you something. You ever been around people like that? She just had to give you something. And you could see that she was a bit frustrated. She just didn't even know what to give. She was trying to think. And finally, she left for a minute. She went into the kitchen, and she came back with a can opener. Not a fancy can opener, just the kind of metal one you get from the grocery store. But it was new, and she wanted to give it to my mother, you know, and give it to us. That's the kind of person she was. She didn't have very much, frankly. But she always had to give. What a characteristic of a Christian. Right? What friendship she made uh, for the future world. There was a woman, Pam and I really tried to, tried to learn to give. And, and uh, we have a great joy in all this. But just before, or just in the early part of our marriage, rather, there was a woman who uh, lived by herself. And she loved mission work. She was so prayerful about people in the mission field. In different places and she would take the little bit of money she had she just had a fixed income and she would just give what she could away to all of these missions you know $25 here and $20 here and she just was always praying tell me about the people she was praying for and so one of our things that we did a few times was just give her some money when we got an abundance and say this is for you to give away to others that was such a joy and you know that's exactly what God does he gives us money so we can give it away to others, right? So there's something really good about that. You can do that. Do you get the picture? These kind of people are the people that reflect a lot of Jesus to me. And I think this is the kind of person 
the kind of person who says, I'm devoted, first of all, with all of my possessions, I'm devoted to Jesus Christ. I love him, and I want what he gives me to be well used for his work so that one day I will receive that inheritance which has been promised to me. And we'll get to love Jesus who gave everything for me, right? So when I see these people and many others, I want to I wanna welcome them. I want to hug them. I want to I enjoy them in a future world, right? So brothers and sisters, I appreciate you listening carefully about what Jesus Christ said. But I, I can't impress enough that this ought to change something in our lives. This is Jesus telling us some really critical truths. Would you let him do that? Would you? Let's bow our heads for a moment and, and just pray about this issue, okay? So I'll close our eyes. I'm going to read these verses in the teaching portion again. Listen to it one more time and ask if this is what you're doing, what it's like for you. I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness, so that when it fails, they will receive you or welcome you into the eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Wealth.